0: to invite you to join me in turning in your Bible or phone or whatever you choose um, to look at your scripture this morning to the book of Ruth. Um, I don't know about you guys, but um, it is so wonderful to enjoy a good story. And probably if we had the opportunity, we could go around and you could all share about you know, your favorite stories, your favorite books you've read and why you enjoy them and why they're important. And today we're going to, to begin looking at the book of Ruth and, and just the idea that the book of Ruth is, as many people have, have written, especially Mr. Haan, who wrote a book called The Romance of Redemption. It's a book of romance and it's a book of God's redeeming love. Now, I gave you a book a couple of weeks ago to read that was um, was very um, meaningful. Um, I want to give you another book that's probably been more impactful in in many lives. Um, Take you back to the. Well, actually, it's a movie. Take you back to 1987. Um, You may remember the movie opens with a young Fred Savage in his bedroom playing a video game and um, his grandfather, visits and hopes to spend some time with him during this time of sickness and he proposes that they read a book and young Fred Savage says a book and the grandpa says that's right when I was your age television was called books and this is a special book it was the book my father used to read to me when I was sick and I used to read it to your father and today I'm going to read it to you. And then the grandson says, has it got any sports in it? And the grandpa says, are you kidding? Fencing, fighting, torture, revenge, giants, monsters, chases, escapes, true love, miracles. And then the little boy says, doesn't sound too bad. I'll try to stay awake. And then grandpa says, oh, well, thank you very much. Very nice of you. Your vote of confidence is overwhelming. And he opens the pages of the book and he says, The Princess Bride by S. Morgenstern. And he begins to unfold this story that tells about true love. And you're introduced to the, the, the characters, Wesley and the Princess Buttercup. And you learn this phrase, true love, that is, is so important to the, to the book. And you hear great quotes from the, the movie, like when Wesley proclaims boldly, hear this now, I will always come for you. And Buttercup says, but how can I know for sure? And then Wesley so poignantly says, this is true love. Do you think this happens every day? And then later, in an interchange, Wesley says, I told you I would always come for you. Why didn't you wait for me? And Buttercup poignantly responds, well, you were dead. And Wesley says, death can't stop true love. All it can do is delay it for a while. And then she says, I'll never doubt again. And then Wesley says, there will never be a need. Now, I point that to you because if you haven't seen it, you need to, because there are themes in that book about the unstoppable nature of true love, that if you are able to connect dots, you can draw very clearly to the undying, faithful, never ending, pursuing love of God. That death could not stop. And the truth of the matter is, is that the Lord of all the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, will always come for you. And so we look at the book of Ruth this morning. We, we start in this journey of the romance of redemption. I want to just focus on the first five verses you're going to find in your bulletin and notes that, that cover the first chapter. But the rest of that will cover next week, Lord willing. But i want to read these first five verses. I want to pray and then I want to just give you some background and then we'll dig in. The book starts in the days when the judges ruled there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. And the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives, the names of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about 10 years and both Malin and Killian died so that the women, woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the grand story of scripture from beginning to end where every story speaks of your unfailing love for us. And Lord, this morning, as we focus on this book of Ruth, just this small picture of this love, help us to see the truth of the romance of redemption, that you love us so much, that you pursue us and that you redeem us. God, you're faithful and you're true. And we can always count on you. And just as we shared with the children, you can do anything you please. But Lord, we thank you that you do it according to your way of love. We give you praise and ask you to help us as we learn in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me just give us a little background and a little setting. Um, The author of the book is unknown. The time, the first verse tells us, was when the judges ruled. So it set during the dark period of the time of the judges. About anywhere between 1370 B.C. to about 1041 B.C. That time of depravity, that time where... The nation of Israel was in a cycle of rebellion, of returning to the Lord, of rebellion and returning to the Lord. And you remember that all the while God would send these judges to come and deliver the people. But it was a very dark time, probably some of the darkest times in the history of Israel. And we have this beautiful story of Ruth that's almost like a diamond shining in the darkness that comes out during this dark time. The setting of the book is both Moab and Bethlehem. Moab is east of the the Jordan River. You may know that that's from the descendants of Lot. You can read about that in Genesis 19. They were perennial troublers of Israel enemies. They would oppress them, trouble them. They were defeated at one time. There were some times that they lived at peace. They were cursed by God in several of the prophetic books, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and Amos. So we have that place And then we also have Bethlehem near Judea, about six miles from Jerusalem. Bethlehem, the house of bread, known as the the city of David later on in the place where Jesus was born. A very fertile area known for grain production. And so our story takes place in both of those places, in Moab for a short time and then primarily in Bethlehem. The main characters of our, our story, we have Ruth. Um, A Moabite, her name means friendship. We have Naomi, her mother-in-law. Her name means pleasant. We have Boaz, the relative of Malan, Ruth's deceased husband, who we come to know will be the kinsman redeemer. It's a classic short story. Many people in many places have written the truth that it's the most beautiful story ever written. We read it and the plot is carried along mainly from the dialogue where we read the interchanges between the people. It's compact in its style. It's vivid in its descriptions. It's warm in its tone. It's dramatic and it's beautiful. In fact, during the 1700s, Dr. Samuel Johnson, you may have had to read some of his works if you took British literature um, in high school or college. He took the book of Ruth and read it to a, a group that met regularly, a group of free thinkers and philosophers that kind of had a roundtable discussion. And he, and he opened up and he read the book of Ruth and he presented it like it was a contemporary work, like it was from a, a new author from the day. And after he finished reading it, there was just this resounding and unanimous praise for this wonderful, beautiful story of love. And then after that, Dr. Johnson revealed that it was from a book that they all soundly rejected, the Bible. So all of history, all of society recognizes this story as a great love story. It's a story that begins with pain and emptiness, and in the end it ends with fullness. It has a happy ending. It's full of contrast. They, they go from, from Bethlehem to Moab and then from Moab back to Bethlehem. There's a journey from being pleasant to becoming bitter, from becoming bitter to becoming pleasant again. There's a journey from fullness to emptiness and then up the hill from emptiness to fullness. There's life to death and then there's death to life and there's bitterness that turns to blessing and there's hopelessness that turns to hope. It's one of those stories that grabs our attention and then keeps it. And it maintains its focus all the way through. And it's that focus of redemption. Three major themes come to light from the book. You'll see redemption. You'll see God's loving kindness. And then you'll see God's providence. When we look at that word redemption, there's two words in the book that you'll see over and over again. The word ga'al and the word go'el the word redeem and the word redeemer they're so intimately tied together that they only there's only one entry in Strong's thesaurus so if you go to look up Gaal and go you'll find that they're linked together because they're so closely related and this book is so important to us because it occurs 23 times in the book of Ruth so in four short chapters this verse come this word comes up 23 times and the primary root is is the idea of the duty of a kinsman a close kinsman to redeem his kin from difficult or dangerous situations the initial word means to regain or to buy back something by purchase or to gain something back that was lost it's an old testament term or law that talks about deliverance of a person or property or or a right which had been previously lost and so we find out that redemption requires a redeemer. We'll find out in the, in the coming weeks this beautiful story about this near relative, this term kinsman redeemer, somebody that could come and buy back family property, provide an heir for a deceased brother, buy back a person sold into slavery or then even in times avenge a relative who had been murdered. We find out ultimately that God is the redeemer of Israel and God has set the Lord Jesus to be redeemer over all creation. And in Ruth, we see this man, Boaz, who is the kinsman redeemer, the story of God's faithfulness. And we'll find out that when we look at Boaz and his story, we see Jesus. Because ultimately it all points to God's plan of salvation, that Jesus paid the ultimate price for our sin. He redeemed us from sin. And that ultimately Jesus is the ultimate kinsman redeemer. And this plan of redemption is, a, is all because it's driven by God's loving kindness. Or His mercy, your translation may say, it's the Hebrew word hesed. It's translated loyal love or covenant love many places. It's God's persistent and unconditional tender love filled with kindness and mercy. It's a relationship in which God seeks after man. It's a term that expresses both God's loyalty to his covenant, his love for his people, and his faithfulness to keep all of his promises. I turn to it again and again because I think it's by far the best definition of the word. um, Hesed, Sally Lloyd-Jones, who wrote the Jesus Storybook Bible, defines it this way. It's the never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love of God. And we see in the book of Ruth that God is that ultimate source of mercy, of loving kindness. And everything that unfolds in the book, while God remains unmentioned and unseen, is totally controlled by his good and gentle hand. And so the last word there that we need to to look at is the word providence. You won't find it in the in the verses, but it's a term that we use to to explain God's control or rule over things. We we know and we've heard in our heads that God is is sovereign, that He's in charge and that He's in control. And as I share with the children, He's in the heavens and He does as He pleases. But God never exercises His power or His control just merely on a whim. He never does it just because of some unknown reason he does it out of his plan and his purpose out of his loving kindness out of his plan of redemption so god has power but he also has a plan and that word providence is two latin words stuck together one means to see and the other means before and it's the idea of seeing into the future and having a plan for what will take place And in Ruth, we see that even though the situations and the circumstances are not desirable, they may even be very tragic that God's hand is at work all through it. R.C. Sproul, who, who passed away recently, defined it this way. Providence reminds us that there's a God in heaven who knows not only about our sins, but he also knows and cares about all our joys, tears, aches, and fears. And so whether things go good for us or whether things seem to go poorly, believing in God's providential care over all things gives us this incredible freedom that we don't have to worry about the future. God's in control. Set back and relax. God is in control. But God is working all the time All around us. He works in things that we think are really common and things that we think are uncommon. Things that we sing are normal and things that we think are strange. Things we can see with our eyes and things that we can't see with our eyes. Things that are pleasant that we enjoy and things that are painful that we wish would go away. God's working in those things. Things that are exciting that we want to call and tell somebody about and things that are excruciating. And we don't want to tell anybody about. We just want to cry and weep. But what we see is that God is at work, even in the things that we think are bad and even in the things we think are good. And so today we're just going to look at these first verses because it kind of sets the stage. It introduces us to the, the characters and it reveals really the great dilemma that we work through in the book of Ruth. And so if you do have your bulletin, we're just going to look at number one there. We're going to look at just three things. They all start with F. We're going to look at the famine. We're going to look at family. And we're going to look at some funerals. And what you're going to find is in these first five verses is that things are bad and they don't get better. They get worse. And then by the end of verse five, they get really bad. They get even worse. And so the first thing is there's a famine and and that's that's bad. So here they are, they're in Bethlehem. Verse 1 tells us, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So, there's a famine in the land of Bethlehem. So Elimelech decides that he and his family are going to go to Moab. So if you're looking at the nation of of israel if you hold up your hand like this and that's not a really great map of, of israel but if you're looking at that they are over here and so here's the jordan river it comes right down through there so they have to go across the jordan river and down here on the other side of the dead sea to to moab and it says in verse two that the name of this man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was naomi the names of his two sons were malan and kilian they were ephrodites from bethlehem and judah and they went into the country of moab and remained there So Elimelech takes his family down to Moab. He takes his wife, whose name interestingly and significantly means pleasant, takes his two sons, Malan, who a lot of people think name meant infirmity, so he may have been born in in sickness. He may have been a sickly child. And then Killian, whose name means finished. Yeah, so, you know, names are very important. So, so... Elimelech leaves with his two sons. One's named Infirmity and one's named Finish. And you can almost see in their names the fact that these guys aren't long for the story. So they go from the house of bread down to the place of Moab. And it's there for a sojourn. So they didn't sell everything and plan to live there forever. They're just there for this temporary stay. And so it's interesting that this man... Elimelech, whose name means my God is king, leaves the place of of God's provision and goes to to Moab. He leaves the house of bread and goes to a foreign land. We can think, well, Elimelech made a a dire mistake. Well, maybe he did, but we can also see that it's God's plan that for some reason God had a plan for this family to be in Moab. Well, we find out in verse 3 what happens Elimelech dies. Naomi's without a husband and she's got two boys. So things get worse. So we're kind of traveling downhill. But then we find out in verse 4, there's a little hope, a little uplifting because Malan and Killian get married. They marry Moabite women. While probably not the best course of action, it certainly wasn't um, against the, the, the law, the Mosaic law for them to marry Moabite women. But they do marry four women, and so they marry these two women, Orpah and Ruth. But then we get to verse 5, and we find out, because they were there about 10 years, that both Malin and Killian died. So infirmity and finished are finished, and now things seem to even get worse. And we're left with three widows, a mother-in-law and her two daughter-in-laws. And then you look at verse 5, the last part. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So Naomi and her family leave Bethlehem to go to Moab. She leaves full of family, but hungry. And now she's in Moab, empty, without family. No husband, no children, left with only her two daughter-in-laws. She's alone. She's poor. She's a foreigner in a strange land with no one to care for her or her daughter-in-laws. It's the big dilemma that brings us to some, some big questions if we're reading along and and. Just for a second, I know it's difficult if you've read the book, you know, just, just pretend that it's the first time you've ever read this book or heard this story and, and your, your voice is probably crying out loud. What are, we, what are they going to do? What's going to happen? You know, how are they going to survive? Who's going to provide for them? Will anybody show them favor? They need someone to save them, to rescue them. They need a redeemer. What will happen? And so the main idea I want to leave you with today. Because it's kind of a, like I said, it's kind of a downward trip and it kind of leaves on a, on a sad note. But I want you to think about this. God has a plan. God has a plan. Hudson Taylor, missionary, wrote these words. All of our difficulties are only platforms for the manifestations of God's grace, power, and love. So God sent a famine to Judah. God had a plan. Elimelech took his family down to Moab. God had a plan. Elimelech died. God had a plan. Malan and Kilian marry Moabites, Orpah and Ruth. God had a plan. Malan and Kilian die. God had a plan. Naomi, Orpah and Ruth are left alone. God had a plan. And as we continue on in the next several weeks, what I want you to remember is that God has a plan for you too. God's never helpless. He's never frustrated. He's never at a loss. He has the love that is faithful and it never runs out and as Psalm 103, 17 and 18 says, The steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him and His righteousness to His children's children, to those who keep His commandments and remember to do His commands. God always has a plan. Ultimately, He has a plan to redeem all of creation. He had a plan for Naomi. has a plan for Ruth. He had a plan for Israel. And He has a plan for you and for me. So I hope you'll join me in these next several weeks as we look at this romance of redemption. We'll study, we'll explore this love story that develops between Ruth and Boaz. We'll see it points to even a greater love story. Really the whole story of the Bible. Where Ruth is just a small, important part, but a small part. But over all the pages, Jesus is the hero. Jesus is our Savior. And Jesus is our Redeemer. I want to close this morning just by reading Psalm 111 with you. It's a little different way um, to close. But if you want to turn there, um, that would be fine. But I want to read this and then we'll pray and we'll be done. But in Psalm 111, praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright, in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them, full of splendor and majesty in His work, and His righteousness endures forever. He has caused His wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear Him. He remembers His covenant forever. He has shown His people the power of His works and giving them the inheritance of the nations. The work of His hands are faithful and just. All His precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to His people. He has commanded His covenant forever. Holy and awesome is His name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we are thankful that we have the opportunity to read your word, to study it together. And we thank you for this jewel of truth that you have for us in the book of Ruth. And as we look at it in these next, in these coming weeks, help us to see the Lord Jesus high and lifted up. Help us to see your hand at work from beginning to end. Help us to see the unfolding plan of your redemption and help us to feel the warmth and the comfort of your loving kindness, your faithful love that never fails. Lord, we thank you that you are gracious and compassionate. You're slow to anger and your rich and faithful love. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for your goodness. And thank you for this reminder that we have from your word. We pray you would use it to speak to us. And we ask that in Jesus name. Amen.